Answer me this. Are you a morning person? Maybe an afternoon person? Perhaps you're a night owl. Perhaps you feel like you never really get, get moving. Well, regardless of how you would classify yourself, you deserve to have a morning routine that serves you, that sets you up for success. Now, before you, you start rolling your eyes and go, oh, I've, I've heard all about the morning routine stuff and all the things that we're all supposed to do and journal and meditate and yoga, and I just don't have time for that or I don't like it. Guess what? That is not what I'm going to tell you. Instead, I am thrilled to tell you about my annual free event coming up called Master Your Morning. And over the course of five days, 30 minutes or less each day, I'm going to teach you how to create your own unique morning routine based on two things, your unique personality type, and secondly, the realities of your home life, right? You may not have a lot of time for a morning routine, and that's what this free workshop is all about. So if you want to come join, head over to megansumrall.com forward slash master your morning. And I promise you at the end of it, you are going to have a completely different relationship with the morning. Okay, to any moms out there listening, this episode is 100% for you. We just finished recording it. We stayed on way too long after chatting and laughing because Michelle is incredible. We know each other through our mastermind group. She is a psychologist and she works specifically with moms, specifically on mom guilt. And she is the most real, raw, vulnerable, funny, amazing mom out there. You are going to relate to her and you are going to hear about her journey from actually being a psychologist with NYPD to now working with moms towards the end of it, which is incredible. But she's going to share three specific tips that I've been using that have been really helpful. She's also got a great resource for you as well. So I'm thrilled to share Michelle with all of you guys today. I know you're going to love her as much as I do. Welcome to the Work-Life Harmony Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Sumrall. I'm a former techie turned entrepreneur. I'm also a mom and a wife. Just like you, I'm juggling hashtag all the things while running multiple businesses and a family. Being a successful female entrepreneur doesn't mean you have to feel overwhelmed, exhausted, and stressed out. Gaining control of your time and calendar is all about learning a few key techniques and systems to better organize and structure your time. This is your show to learn from me and other amazing women how to master your time and organization to skyrocket your productivity so you can have work-life harmony. Welcome back to Work-Life Harmony. I have an amazing woman here today. I went big today, brought in the big guns. <laughs> I have an actual doctor here with us today to talk about a topic. If you are a mom, listen up, because we're going to be tackling all things mom guilt. So Michelle, I will let you introduce yourself, share your background, and then we will jump right in. Yeah. Well, first and foremost, thank you so much for having me, Megan. I adore you and all the things that you do. And I appreciate you calling me a real doctor. So <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a psychologist and I'm a mom to a three and a half year old little boy who has a ton of energy and I have none of it. Wait, a three um, and a half boy with energy. Imagine yeah, that. Yeah, right. I know. Can you imagine that? Yeah. Who doesn't want to take a nap at preschool and they are like, why doesn't he want to take a nap? I'm like, because he's three and a half and he's yeah. nosy and wants and to do things. Done with yeah. It. Yeah. So I am a psychologist. I have a therapy practice for moms who live in New York state where I live. 
And I also provide coaching for moms. And, you know, I, when I talk about the moms that I work with, these are moms, just probably like everybody who is listening, like all the moms that you work with, Megan, these are just regular moms trying to manage it all. And that is something that I make a point to say all the time is actually something that I talked about in a Forbes article I was in recently, because moms always think, well, it's only me, right? Or I don't need help or or all the things that we think. And the truth is that we all need help and we all are just trying to manage all the things. So that's what I do in my therapy practice. And then my coaching practice is called Mental Wellness Mamas. And I have a group coaching program there and some mini courses. And basically what I do is I help moms manage all the emotions of mom life, things like guilt and it's not emotional. No, it's not emotional at all, right? <laughs> things like guilt and frustration and overwhelm, all of those things to help them be more connected to their kids and happier with their families. Oh, it's so powerful. So Michelle and I met because Michelle and I are in the same mastermind group. And I always feel like at the end of any call that we're both on that I just need to be like, Hey, Michelle, just shoot me an invoice. All right. (laughs) Cause I feel like through our mastermind and just hearing you, you know, share behind the scenes of your business and just knowing you more and more. How many times have I said to you during a call, like, Oh my God, where were you eight years ago (laughs) when I was in the trenches of toddlerhood? And I have learned so much Mm -hmm. from you and having you in my life. And I've attended some of your webinars as well. Mm -hmm. And this is why I was like, okay, I need to bring you on the podcast because first of all, mom guilt's real. I don't think I know any mom out there. And I'm sorry. And if you are a mom that says I've never battled mom guilt, I'm going to call BS on you a little bit. Yeah, totally. But you know, for me, where I still struggle with it is down to this constant time management game, right? Where every single day, We have to make choices on what we're spending our time on. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I know when Grace was first born and I was, you know, still full time corporate, Mm -hmm. every single minute I was working, I was feeling guilty because I'm like, am I being the mom I should be? I'm not with her. But then when I was with her, then I was feeling guilty about, am I being the employee? Am I showing up there? Mm -hmm. And now it's just transitioned more into my business and time for myself. Like Mm -hmm. I still battle. I prioritize I'm I'm starting to hate the word self-care, but I prioritize (laughs) time for me, Yeah, but there are still that underlying guilt for it every single time I do it. So I'd love for you to kind of share just what's going on there and some tips for people that are battling this guilt over the choices we're making with our time. Yeah, absolutely. So first and foremost, 100% agree with what you said, that if a mom says that she is not struggling with mom guilt, (laughs) she's either lying or she just maybe doesn't have that kind of self-awareness to know what it is all about. So a definition of, I think, will be helpful first because we all hear the term mom guilt, but what does that actually mean? Mm -hmm. So basically mom guilt is this never-ending cycle of not doing enough and not being good enough. It's that second guessing kind of questioning feeling exactly what you were just talking about, right? When you are, you know, at work, you're thinking about what you're not doing as a, as a mom. When you're a mom, you're thinking about what you're not doing at work. So it's that really kind of second guessing, questioning feeling, this feeling of never quite being good enough. You always need to be, need to be doing more and more and more. It's that self doubt. It's that not living up to expectations. And then that, that feeling of failure. 
and check, check, yes, check, check, check the D, D all of the above. Right. <laughs> yep. And something that I, you know, will say to, to moms is, you know, we were saying before about if a mom says she's not struggling with mom guilt, how do you know that you have mom guilt? You're a mom. So you have mom guilt. Like there's, there's no other, there's no that, like you have passed the test. If you are a mom, if you check that box and you have mom guilt, because there's always something to feel guilty about, right? Maybe and what am I feeding them? I still exactly. mean, that's a huge one yes. for me. Yes. Huge. Yeah. yeah. So maybe for you, you know, when you were in the corporate space, it was more of that, that kind of work or being home type of thing. Then there's the feeding stuff. There's, oh my God, screen time. That's a huge one. Not being present, right? Always being kind of, or being on your phone or, or doing something else or not being a constant source of entertainment to your kids. God, um, and one came up yesterday with someone yeah. in my program right now. And I was so grateful she brought it up on our call because everyone else was able to be like, heck no, do it. And she was you know, having to validate, okay, well, you know, the kids are going to be back in person school and you know, she works and she's a lawyer and she's got a nanny at home for the two young ones for her work hours. She's like, well, I still think I may have, you know, we won't need the nanny anymore, but I'm thinking maybe just twice a week, I'll pick them up from school and was like struggling with feeling guilty over. Yeah. I was like, do it, do it every day. If you can like, yeah. give yourself, you don't need to be doing drop off and pick up, but yeah. the guilt was there, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that kind of brings me to, because I think this really ties really nicely into the whole idea of the time guilt piece of things when you're a mom, is that we really have this skewed notion of what our definition of what a good mom is, right? So for her, part of like, sort of like the story that she has told herself is that a good mom does drop off her pickup, right? That's part of her idea of, and this is not just this mom, right? This is all moms. And it's not just an internal thing. This is a lot of messages that we get from society because what does society say? That the definition of being a good mom is essentially being a martyr, right? It's being this person who sacrifices it all, who your entire life is, you know, engrossed in being a mother. And, you know, while your kids can certainly be the center of your world in terms of love, they don't literally have to be the center of your world all day, every day, actually, psychologically speaking, that's not healthy for kid and that's unhealthy for mom. Why do you think this isn't being talked about more? Like, why do you think there's still this pressure when we know, I mean, every mom I know that finally is open and honest, regardless of what their life looks like, whether they work outside the home, inside the home, full-time with their kids, whatever it looks like at the heart of it, they'll eventually open up and be like, yeah, I'm struggling with this. You know, oh, I feel like, where do you think that pressure is coming from? And why is it still out there if we're all feeling this? Yeah. So I think, so there's two things. The first is that, and this is probably a universal human struggle, but it probably comes out a little bit more with moms, is that there is a big difference between knowing something logically and accepting something emotionally, Mm -hmm. right? So we can we can logically say, you know, well, we all have this issue and we all get it and that we we shouldn't put pressure on moms and that we, you know, shouldn't have these crazy expectations, all of those things, but the logic is only going to take you so far. If you don't have the emotional acceptance of whatever it is that you're struggling with, in this case, the mom guilt or the time mom guilt, the emotion stuff, that's the secret sauce, right? Because we're all smart, right? We are yeah. all smart, we're all successful, you know, we're all doing all the things. But if we don't deal with our emotions, we're going to be stuck in this kind of like hamster wheel cycle of things over and over and over. 
So that feels like to me that, and especially as a psychologist, and you know, that's really what I do in my group coaching program is I focus on the emotional processing because you guys are smart. You know, the logic stuff, you just need guidance through the emotions. So that feels like the first piece. And then the second piece is that I really think, you know, we are kind of in, we are just starting to talk about these things, right? Mm -hmm. Even though it is something that people, it's now like much more common and all of that, a generation ago, this was not conversation, right? And it may not have, it may not have been conversation because there were different expectations at that point, or, you know, kind of like that whole, you know, feminist message of the seventies of you can do it all has now transferred to you should do it all or you have to do it all. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's also kind of, you know, the time period that we're in that this is going to take some time to kind of, you know, absorb into mainstream society. How much do you think social media is is playing in on this? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm so glad that you brought that up. I think, (laughs) and this is probably a reason why a generation ago, there wasn't as much of this, right? Because there was... There was no Google and there was no social media, right? So, oh my gosh, you had to parent your child without seeing what other people were doing. And then you had to parent your child without being able to Google random things that that happened, right? You just had to kind of figure it out. I was literally having this conversation the other night with my husband. So my husband grew up in a very, very rural part of Guatemala. And he was telling me about how like his mom just, yeah. So he, his mom would just basically say like, Go play outside, be home for dinner, right? Which is what we did all summer. Right, right, which is what I did too. But even, you know, just like more things about how like, you know, he didn't really have a lot of toys. It was like, go play with like the chicken that's running around on the farm, right? Just do figure it out, right? Right. And so my point in saying about the social media stuff, right, is that we didn't, there was no comparison. What is this mom doing? What is that mom doing? Because if you think about it, a lot of times when we feel those pangs of guilt, it's, it's a lot of times triggered by something else that we see, right? It's not until, it's not a, until our kid says, you know, mommy, put your phone down, right? Or it's not until we see that other mom with the, like, the picture-perfect Pinterest craft that we start to feel some of these things. And, and sometimes it's the case that it just kind of comes up. But a lot of it has to do with, with social media. And I talk to a lot of moms that I work with about figuring out what things on social media kind of trigger guilt and and different emotions in you and making plans around how you're going to navigate that. Right. Cause if you just keep consuming and consuming and consuming, you know, it's going to be difficult to manage the emotions. I have to think there's a reason why a couple key social media accounts I can think of that are like viral viral are the ones that are the moms kind of showing themselves as like real, real. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There's yeah. a reason why they have the following they have. Right, like right. we're craving some validation of I'm not I'm not the only one. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like yeah, absolutely. And those accounts, you know, interesting enough, I like to see those accounts that sometimes you'll see an account that has a picture perfect image, but then in the caption they will say like, oh, but you know, it took 10 takes to get this perfect picture, right? As yep. opposed to the images where it's like, no, this is the real deal of what's going on. Because there's still that comparison feeling when you see that that image, you know. Yeah. And I think it's funny, as soon as you're talking about comparison, and this was pre-social media wave, I, I don't know why this, it's funny, this moment has been popping up in my head a lot lately, but I can remember so vividly this day and Grace was, I mean, less, probably less than six months mm. or right around the six month mark. 
and I had planned to meet my sister at the mall and I was taking kind of some flex time at work to go do some Christmas shopping. And of course I tried to schedule it around her nap time. So maybe I could, you know, bubble her in the stroll, you know, all the just holes because I was extra with that, with her anxieties, my anxieties, all of that. And we finally get there. And of course I'm just, I'm nervous because she's very sensory very sensory oriented. And so I'm like, yeah. is it gonna be too loud? Is it whatever? And we're sitting there, of course, outside of Aunt Annie's, because if you go to the mall, mm-hmm. you gotta get the hot pretzel. Yeah. Or Cinnabon, either one. Yeah, yeah. we don't have that one. So therefore <laughs> okay. there. And now my sister is a mom of three mm-hmm. and her ex-husband was in the police department. And so I mean she was doing all the things for all the kids. Yeah. And we were sitting there and you know, I was still battling corporate work and you know, so mm-hmm. two very different lives. And I remember she looks at me And I started, I broke down and I started crying because there was this, I was sharing about, I missed this moment that I didn't want to miss with grace that the nanny got that I didn't. And she looked stunned and she looked over at me and she's like, I never thought about that. All I've been doing is sitting here thinking how lucky you were to have this life of the job and the nanny. And yet all I was doing was thinking how lucky she was to not have the same time struggle I had, but she had her own. I was like, God, if we could just all be more honest with each other about what our struggles were, because we're all so busy. I think thinking the grass is always greener. Yeah. And the struggle is essentially the same, right? It's like at its core, it's literally the same. It just looks different or it comes out in a different way. And, you know, to your point there, I think a lot of times there is that comparison. Grass is always greener. And something that I can share with everybody research-based around that is that they have done research on, you know, what is, what fares better psychologically for a child, being a working mom, being a stay-at-home mom. And the answer is, it doesn't matter. Both. Yeah, I bet. Good. The answer is, it it literally does, like, it it doesn't matter. What will fare best for your child psychologically is if you are providing a stable, loving environment for them. And that, like, literally... I'm talking about like literal bare minimum, stable, loving environments. It's it's not like you are, you know, the cruise director or the entertainment director doing all of the things. It literally is providing them, taking care of their needs, providing them with love and support and understanding and setting boundaries and consequences and, and all the things that, that they need. But, you know, any mom that is listening can know that, you know, the research has shown either one is okay. It's, it's, I love that. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. So Absolutely. for any moms out there that are having still the time guilt, yeah. Yeah. are there any quickies that you can give them to yes. help them start kind of moving through that? Yes. So I have three kind of main things that I like to tell my mom clients around all this stuff. So okay. the first is that you need to really take a look at your definition of what a good mom is. Right. Because for many years, and I like to kind of think of these kinds of thoughts as sort of junk drawer thoughts, right? What do we keep in a junk drawer? A bunch of crap that we don't know if we really need, right? But we might need it one day, or maybe we did need it, you know, 10 years ago. Maybe the reason why we have 12 Allen wrenches in our junk drawer is because we used to be a college student with Ikea furniture. Ikea, I was going to say Ikea. Yeah, Yeah, Ikea equals Allen wrenches. (laughs) But we are now adults that purchase furniture in a store that then delivers it to our home and Allen wrenches are no longer useful, right? So my point in that is that thoughts are very much like that. We have thoughts that we have been holding on to for a very long time, but we don't know what to do with them or they were useful at one point or maybe they were never useful, right? But we still have them. Maybe we have them because of things that we 
have grown up with or things that we have seen or whatever the case is. So my first tip is to really get a good definition and a definition for you, right? Because it's going to look different for every single mom of what is important to you. What are the things that you value? And then looking at this sort of junk drawer of thoughts that you have and really thinking, well, do I still need to think that being a good mom means that I do drop off or pick up every day? Or does it, what for me, what maybe being a good mom means is that, you know, when my son comes home from school, that I take literally five minutes as soon as he comes home from school to talk to him, ask him how his day was, read him a book. I mean, just five minutes of that. So really to get your, be very clear about what your definition of a good mom is, not the definition that you've seen on social media, or that maybe was your own mom's definition or society's definition or, or any of those things. I've never really thought about that. Yeah. Uh, And as you say that, I'm like, and it changes like things that were really important to me a couple years ago, they've shifted now. Exactly. Right. And it's important to kind of check in, you know, just like you talk about kind of doing like a 90 day check-in with your goals. You need to be checking in with what is this definition of being a good mom. And that likely changes as you move through stages in life. And as your child moves through stages in life, right. Cause it's different at certain points. Yep. So the second thing is to really look at what your sort of definition around self-worth is, right? So Mm -hmm. a lot of times moms have this notion that time and productivity and efficiency defines their self-worth, right? It's this idea that if we are productive, then we are good. Or I literally just made a reel about this yesterday where the idea that like the minute that a mom gets a second to relax they start thinking, they start shooting on themselves. They start having the shoulds. I should be folding the laundry. I should be cleaning the junk drawer. I should be cooking. I should, 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 right? And it's really based on that idea that our self-worth and who we are as a person is based on time and productivity and efficiency. So I think that's something that, and that's something that we really kind of break down in the group coaching program. And that kind of ties into, you know, the definition of being a good mom is really looking at that and saying, well, actually, what are all the other amazing things that I can offer that has nothing to do with time and and productivity and and all of that stuff? We must have been in each other's heads yesterday, because yesterday (laughs) I did the real, I'm busy is not productive. Yes, yes. And take a break and be productive. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then the third thing that I would say for, for moms who are struggling with this, you know, time piece of things is to really think about and implement ways that you are essentially taking what that definition of a good mom is and that you are living that and shifting that mindset from it's about, you know, psychologically speaking, it really is not about quantity. It's about quality. And so I always say this example to mom. So, you know, maybe if you have like a memory from when you were a child, like, I don't know, baking Christmas cookies or something like that, something that was like, a tradition or something that you did with your mom. That, that I can you, see it yeah, right now. Right? When like you, that was when our thing. Back, yep, right? Totally. So at the end of the day, it didn't matter if you bake those cookies for five minutes or for five hours. It just mattered that, and this is actually how memory is processed in the brain, is when you have an emo- emotional experience, positive, negative, whatever the case is, that's how your brain forms a memory. And so you likely, it, it wasn't about baking the cookies, right? You could have been like, 
coloring dirt or something like who, who yeah. what, whatever it's right? certain like conversations and laughter yeah. and things like that that yes. I hear that you that you have that memory yeah. yeah and so that's that's the connection those are the things that when your child grows up and they say like what was your mom like they'll say things like oh we had this tradition of baking Christmas cookies it's not about the cookies it's not about the time it's about the connection and the positive emotional experience that they had during that time so instead of like the mom that you were talking about from yesterday, right? In your in your group, her idea was that, oh, well, I have to to be a good mom means I do, you know, pick up X number of, of days a week or whatever the case is. But she may hate pickup and be annoyed that she has to do pickup, right? So if she can delegate some of the stuff like that, that honestly doesn't really matter, right? Because if a kid, if a kid has the memory of like, oh, my mom picked me up from school every day. They're not remembering you literally picking them up. They're remembering your smiling face, your hug, your embrace, the emotional experience of what that was like, right? So if she doesn't want to do that and she's going to be miserable doing that, it would better serve her to have somebody else pick up the child or have the nanny stay or whatever it needs to happen. And then when she does see her child to have 10 minutes or 20 minutes or whatever amount of time of like, let's just sit down together, put the phones away. Let's talk about your day at school, you know, what fun thing do you want to do on the weekend? That's going to be the emotional experience that they're going to remember much more. It's going to be ingrained like much more in their brain. Hey there. If you are feeling overwhelmed, like your calendar is out of control, like you are just running against a race that will never end in terms of your to-do list, I have great news for you. I have just done a complete update on my app. Yes, I have an app in both the App Store and Google Play called The Pink Bee, and it is chock full of small but incredibly powerful trainings to help you get out of overwhelm. It includes my signature Ditch the Overwhelm training, an introduction to my time management framework. It can help get you started on weekly planning, helps you understand the four levels of planning, gives you access to my epic One Notebook Challenge, and some tips and tricks on how to get your phone organized. And all of that is available for you right inside the Pink Bee app. So open up either your app store or Google Play, do a search on the Pink Bee, all one word, download the app. And then to unlock all of that training, it's only $4.99 US. I will see you inside the app. Oh, that's so helpful. I mean, I'm even thinking just the other weekend, Grace is starting to want to get comfortable in the kitchen. She's always been very scared to be in there. And so we went strawberry picking and then made a fresh strawberry pie because it doesn't require the oven or anything. Yeah, It yeah. takes like eight minutes to do this pie. Yeah. She is still talking about that. Yeah. It was, it was eight minutes, yeah, but we, exactly. we had fun. We had the music going, we were laughing. And now I'm realizing that's why she's talking about it. Exactly. You know, yeah. All, yeah. all eight minutes of it, but it, it was the emotion exactly. and the energy that was going on there. Yeah. So really just keeping that mantra in mind yeah. that it's about the quality, not, not the quantity of the interaction. That is so good. Thank yeah. you for that. Yeah. Now I want to ask you something that you didn't know I was going to ask you because yeah. I've been dying to know. <laughs> so our listeners don't know this yet, but your background prior. Oh yeah. 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 Everybody was, loves this. Okay. <laughs> being a psychologist with NYPD, right? Yes. yes. How yeah. did you shift from working with NYPD yeah. to 
moms. Okay. So I'll tell you just a quick funny thing about the NYPD job because everybody's always dying to know what it was about. <laughs> so everybody thinks that when I say it was- Hey, I watched Law and Order. I know what yeah, goes on. I know exactly. <laughs> so I was literally just about to say that. Everybody thinks when I say to them, oh, I was a psychologist at the NYPD, that they think that I'm Dr. Wong from- yeah. <laughs> S, like law and order SVU, right? They Those people don't exist. They might work for the FBI or the CIA or whatever, but that's not what the, that's not what a police department psychologist does. So in a major police department, like the NYPD, there are two kind of groups of psychologists. There are the psychologists who help hire police candidates. And right. then there are psychologists who, once you become a police officer, if you're having issues, right, you then go there, right? So my job was for the candidates. So essentially what we would do is that we would do psychological evaluations on people who wanted to be police officers. And we would say whether they were appropriate psychologically, because, you know, obviously you're giving somebody a gun, right? So they need to be psychologically what we call suitable to be a police officer. So just to give you kind of a sense of what that job was like, in order for us to get a class of 1000 police officers, we would have to screen psychologically 10,000 people. So we would, we would deny 9,000 to get 1,000. And the, the stories that I have, like the people that would show up at my door, I mean, (laughs) literally there was a time where I, you know, go out to get my, my person to come into my office, do the evaluation. And I look down and the minute that I looked up, I was like, he has a huge black eye. Like he's shown up to this essentially (laughs) job interview, right. With like a black black eye. eye that I've never seen one that big before. And so when I ask him about it, he tells me this whole story about how he literally got into a bar fight a couple of days before and was arrested by the NYPD (laughs) and now still thought it was a good idea to show up. Like he was then, you know, like, I guess out on the or whatever, right? And he just showed up and like told me all about this and then went on to tell me about how he got into a fight with a cop and, and, you know, just like the craziest types of stories. So- Anyway, people just love hearing that stuff. So I I thought I would share how I made that shift. So that was probably the funniest job that I've ever had. My coworkers there were amazing. I still talk to many of them to this day, and I haven't worked there since my son was born. But it was the whole concept of work-life harmony. So where I live in the suburbs of New York City, the commute each way. So I had a round trip total commute of three hours a day to get to work. And then there are times where there are mandatory overtime periods. The NYPD is a very, it's a paramilitary organization. There's no such thing as working from home or flex time. None of that doesn't exist. So I basically made the choice to not live like that anymore, right? And to get back some of this this time freedom that all moms are, are looking for. And also, since I didn't want that commute and I wanted some of this time freedom, I started looking for a job closer to home. And the only job that I could find was in a prison. And I've worked in a prison before. And it's funny, like there's a lot of funny things that happen, a lot of entertaining stories that I have, but it is also extremely sad and depressing. And that's I the last imagine. place that I that I wanted to be. So yeah. I kind of had to make a job for myself at the end of the day. <laughs> that's so powerful though. And, and what I love about, and everybody, if you are a mom, and I'll put all the links in the show notes. You need to follow Michelle, especially on Instagram, because what I love about everything that you bring to the table is you're bringing all of this wealth of knowledge, you know, being a psychologist and having all of this background. So you're bringing 
real pragmatic things that work and help, but you are also sharing so (laughs) openly your own, you know, mom life realities as being a mom that it is, you are just so approachable that I love following everything that you do because it makes me, it makes me laugh. It makes me smile. I feel validated, but then I'm also learning something as I go. And I think you have done such a beautiful job of that. I will share with you guys inside of our mastermind calls. Michelle is one of the few that also gets labeled as occasionally being a troublemaker. I'm kind of on the (laughs) outskirts of the troublemakers. I kind of aspire to be one, but just because of the realness, the honesty, all of that. So I want to thank you. And again, I, I have to get over this saying, I wish I'd just found you eight or nine years ago, but instead I'm grateful I have you now because you, you help me so much all the time. So thank you. Well, I appreciate that more, more than, you know, Megan, I just appreciate, I appreciate you appreciating the realness. This is who I am. And, you know, it, it has been a journey to kind of put myself out there. And the more and more that I see that this is what moms are looking for and what they need. And honestly, this is part of, this is part of, you know, your question before about kind of like breaking down some of the societal stigmas, right. Is when people are willing to be vulnerable and are willing to be genuine and honest and say what is literally going on as opposed to, you know, cause that is like a mom struggle, right. The whole facade of like, I have it all together, but inside I'm struggling or I'm crumbling. So I appreciate that. And I am what Megan is trying to say is being labeled as a troublemaker is that I have a terrible potty mouth, (laughs) but it is what it is, right? This is just who I am. And you know, but it's real. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So for everybody listening, you know, I've mentioned Instagram, where is the best place for them to connect with you, get info on any upcoming programs you've got, et cetera. I am most active on Instagram. I'm at mental wellness for mamas, M-A-M-A-S. And over there, you can get resources. I have a awesome download all about when you eventually do lose your patience with your kids, right? When they keep it's asking a good over one. and over and over the six things that you need to be doing after. Because it's, it's okay that you lose your patience with your kids. What you need to do is once you lose your patience, there are some things that you need to do after the fact to ensure that you know they're okay psychologically, all of that. It's actually a good thing to lose your patience because you show them that you are human Human. (laughs) and that they don't have to be perfect, that you are not perfect. And then the six things essentially teach them what you need to do or teach you what you need to do after, after the fact. That has been a huge help for me. Yeah, I share often patience is what I'm working on. I'm aspiring to be more patient. And so having that as my, eh, lost it has really been good. And I notice grace appreciates it. Yeah. Like a lot. Awesome. I love it. Okay. So yeah, so check me out on there and you can always send me a DM or reach out and I'm happy to talk to all the moms that want to listen. And if anybody is particularly struggling with mom guilt, if anybody's on the peanut app, they have something called pods, which is essentially like clubhouse for moms. And so every Wednesday at one o'clock Eastern time, I host a pod, I answer questions, I give out information. And it's awesome because it's a really supportive environment. And that's really important to have that no judgment. And you know, I'll grab some info on that peanut app from you and share that in the show notes as well. Because I know it's pretty new and a lot of moms might really be interested in checking it out. Yeah, I'll make sure I have that too. Okay. Thank you so much, Michelle. Thank you, Megan. Appreciate it. Thanks. Getting on top of all things time management, organization, and productivity doesn't have to stop just because this episode is over. 
You can follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Megan Sumrall, or just open any browser and go to megansumrall.com. If spelling my name is a complete pain, just go to theworklifeharmony.com and grab my free time management cheat sheet. If you like this podcast, don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and share it.